today, Dennis. Um, you do often talk about complementary medicine, and mm, um, mm. you think it might be a good idea to talk about that today and just Look, what it is. I think we might do that, Jane. It's a term that has become very popular, and uh, still some listeners might be a little bit confused about what complementary medicine is, particularly whether or not it is equivalent to alternative medicine. Let's say something about it. Gwen has rung in from East Maitland. And, Gwen, you've got a question about soy products for Dennis. Yes, please. I've heard so much uh, different opinions, and I really like yours, Mm -hmm. um, whether soy products are good for you or bad for you, and would um, soy milk in particular um, help to lower cholesterol? Look, there's a lot of, um, how can I call it, debate or difference of opinion on this. I think soy products, in as much as they're used all around the world, uh, particularly in Asia, is pretty well a staple part of their diet, has demonstrated that they're a good food. They're a good food, and they're a good food for many reasons. For people, for instance, that uh, have a vegetarian inclination, soy products provide a very good uh, source of protein and can be used confidently um, as an alternative to, uh, to animal-based products. Uh, I have no problem with soy, and my view is that they are likely, by virtue of their nature, uh, to contribute mildly to a reduction in cholesterol levels. Now, that's an opinion. Uh, a lot of the debate about soy centres around uh, whether or not there are problems associated with it uh, being used in significant quantities by people that might be on uh, estrogen suppressant therapy. That oh. is, women particularly that may be on estrogen blocking medication subsequent to, uh, to, breast, to, to cancer of the breast treatment. Even, even that is debatable. I've read arguments for or, or against it. One of the best references on soy, uh, I suggest, is a text that I've mentioned on the program occasionally entitled Foods That Fight Cancer by Bellevue and Gingras. You can uh, Google it up and, and, and purchase it from numerous places. It has a very good balanced section dealing with soy as a food, a food with potential anti-cancer properties, but also they look at this debate surrounding whether or not it is contraindicated for some people that are on uh, hormonally suppressant therapy. But I use soy products. I enjoy soy. Uh, My practice over the years has encouraged uh, parents with children that are atopic, that are experiencing early eczemas and uh, asthmatic conditions and and, uh, rhinitis conditions. I've recommended that they try soy as an alternative uh, products say to dairy products and in some cases that has made a significant difference so yes I'm in favour of it I see it as an excellent food I, I don't necessarily agree with uh, even the precautions p- pertaining to its use um, in, in um, estrogen suppressant therapy because my view is you'd have to be taking heaps of it so to speak in my opinion to create a problem Oh, Thank you so much I, I want to go back onto the um, soy sauce, uh, soy, soy um, milk. Yes. So thank you very much. Now, look, it's a good product, and uh, I have no problems. Uh, my family uses it. I use it occasionally. 
Uh, I use a lot of tofu in my diet. So, yeah, you go for it. Thank you very much. Mm. And thanks for your call, Gwen. So complementary medicine is something Mm. you talk about quite a bit. Um, Mm. Has that term been around for a very long time, Dennis? Look, Jane, it hasn't. When I started practising and teaching nearly 40 years ago, uh, it wasn't a term that was being used. The term then was alternative medicine. Um, And the, the term alternative implied that there was a system of medicine uh, that could be used alternatively or in competition with the mainstream. Now, many years ago, that was a view that uh, many naturopaths and herbalists would have held, and I think it was largely used in reaction against some of the what we would have considered to be the very uh, monopolistic and discriminatory attitudes that mainstream medicine had towards those of us that practised a different system. But over the years, everything has changed. And what has happened now is, well, in my opinion, it's happened. The mainstream has acknowledged that there are other ways of healing the human organism apart from uh, depending entirely on Western medicine. Now, I'm the first to defend Western medicine. I use it myself. My family have accessed it. Uh, My wife has been, in a sense, saved as a result of Western medicine. So I have no problem with Western medicine. I had a problem years ago due to this attitude that that was the only system of medicine that was valid in treating uh, human disease. And that's where I took issue with it. Over the years, that has changed. And even the mainstream has acknowledged now that there are other approaches to treating disease outside of mainstream Western medicine. And a lot of that has to do with not only the flourishing of different systems of medicine, but the way in which attitudes have changed. Things have changed in this country. Forty years ago, uh, people like myself would have been referred to as witch doctors, as quacks and charlatans. I very rarely hear that these days. Attitudes have changed. The educational system behind the teaching of so-called complementary medicine has gone into the universities. Graduates in what used to be called alternative medicine now flourish in our society and practice in many ways alongside of, but not in competition with the mainstream. And complementary medicine now is the term that better explains the existence in our society, a modern Western society, of practitioners of systems of medicine that are different. And by that I mean things like acupuncture, uh, things like chiropractic, things like osteopathy, things like herbal medicine, These are all what I refer to as complementary medicines in that they complement the major system of medicine in our society. The major system of medicine will always remain the major system. We can't survive without it, for goodness sake. Complementary medicine seeks to work wherever possible in enhancing the outcomes of the major medical approach and in some situations uh, providing a treatment option, usually accepted by the mainstream these days, which can address problems that the mainstream has not been able to resolve. So complementary essentially means the existence in our society of various modalities, which I've just mentioned, which do not compete, but fill out, fill the gaps, do things differently, and provide a health option for people that are not getting the results that they would have expected 
from mainstream medicine. So would you say that complementary medicine is not necessarily just a one or the other? It can be used together at the Absolutely. same time. And, and this is, I think, that's a very good point you made, Jane. Uh, it's not an either-or situation. Now, I, I, what do I mean by this? I can speak from my own practice experience here. I would have numerous patients who are being cared for by the best GPs they could possibly get. We've got excellent GPs in Newcastle and excellent specialists. Those people, for instance, many of them respiratory patients, they do very, very well on a system of medicine that incorporates the best respiratory techniques of modern medicine filled out with the complementary approach that I offer in herbal medicine. You put those two things together and you see why some of my patients can now travel around the world uh, without experiencing exacerbation of their respiratory conditions as a result, and with knowing uh, their doctors and specialists knowing in many cases that what they have been using in the mainstream has been filled out by herbal medicine in this case, which has lifted their game dramatically. They're not getting the pneumonias in wintertime. Their respiratory function is improved. Their general health has improved. The two systems working together, and many of my patients, if they're in this room, would vouch for it, has given them a better quality of life and a better management of their disease problem. Two things working together. And do you do you think that um, patients doing their own thing, mm. having control in mm. what they do too, might be part of that approach? I think it is. I think that uh, these days um, uh, people are much more innovative. They're much more sceptical of the claims that are made and they want to participate frequently in their own uh, management particularly younger patients, but not always younger patients. Um, and this, unfortunately, can get them sometimes offside by many very conservative practitioners who think still that the role of the, of the doctor is the role of the doctor and that the patient should just do it the toll and get on with it. Now, I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but patients these days want to know more. They want to know more. Uh, my doctor is I was talking oh, my daughter this morning has just been to see a gastroenterologist, and the questions she asked uh, was very helpfully explained to her by the gastroenterologist. Um, she will get reports that she will pass on to me. What am I saying? I'm saying the ordinary person today expects to be taken in into account in any treatment situation, whether it be medical or herbal. People are different today, better educated and have lost a lot of this, how can I call it, class consciousness that used to dominate the relationship between the mainstream medical profession and a lot of ordinary patients. Mm, that makes a lot of now, sense. Now, there's also a bit of a problem with that too, Jane, in as much that um, self-initiated uh, health care is great, but there's the downside to it is many people think that they can bypass. They can bypass their GP. They can bypass diagnosis. Um, for instance, uh, yesterday in my rooms I had a, a lass who rang me uh, from Queensland. Uh, she and her husband are seeking to, to have a child and they've been struggling and she wanted me to prescribe what's known as my fertility mix. In talking to her very briefly, I found out that neither of them had really sustained adequate investigation and here they were racing helter-skelter into looking at uh, a treatment of um, herbal medicine to address a problem that really hadn't been profiled adequately enough, they may not be able to have a child. Her husband's sperm profile might be inadequate. 
her tubes may be blocked. And so what am I saying here? I'm saying in that case, where the initiative was taken, i.e. I want to do this myself by seeing a naturopath or a herbalist, here am I, a practitioner of complementary medicine, herbal medicine, saying to that patient, look, you need to see a general practitioner, you need a referral to a gynaecologist, your husband needs to get profiled before you even think about using other systems of medicine. So there's a good and a bad side to it. The, 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 the taking responsibility for your health, in my opinion, is important, absolutely and utterly important. And on this program, we've encouraged people to become involved in their health, to look at things that they can do, look at their diet, look at their lifestyle, look at the, the content of what they're eating. Uh, that's wonderful. But that does not lead to independence entirely from expertise, which is necessary, absolutely necessary, to clarify a health problem. We can't do without that. We can get into problems. Health Naturally, um, Dennis Stewart here, and we're talking about the concepts of complementary medicine, but also Mm. the application. Mm. Dennis, some forms of complementary medicine are possibly good for specific diseases. Mm. Have you got Mm. some examples of that? I think that's a a very good question. I think it's valid to say that um, what we might refer to, and it might sound very verbose, it's not meant to, as chronic civilizational diseases lend themselves to the application, in my opinion, of complementary medicine. Now, what am I talking about there? I'm talking about uh, conditions uh, that are characterized by recurrence, by chronicity, by very significant dependence upon uh, medications, some of which are problematical. A good example would be, and that which I've just mentioned, the way in which I've been able to demonstrate that chronic respiratory conditions, and there are many of them, bronchiectasis, uh, chronic bronchitis, uh, many of those diseases that uh, recur are not curable but dependent upon good management. Many of those chronic respiratory conditions lend themselves, as as I said a moment ago, to the application of complementary medicine. And the usual approach here is to use herbs which improve the patient's resistance to respiratory infection. And in our system of herbal medicine, which we refer to as Western herbal medicine, the two major herbs that are used to address chronic, recurring uh, lung respiratory infections is the North American herb known as Echinacea angustifolia and the European herb known as Elecampane. I studied those two herbs as a very young student and we have uh, prescribed them in my career and they still explain to me the benefits of herbs in addressing conditions which hitherto would have been entirely dependent on episode after episode of antibiotics. A combination incorporating those two herbs has seen many people remarkably improve as far as their respiratory health is concerned and need less antibiotic and less steroid. Chronic respiratory conditions, an excellent example, in my opinion, of where complementary medicine is very effective. Interesting stuff, Dennis. 49216216 for your questions. Peter has rung in from Tingara Heights. Peter, your question's about, if I've got it right, Emulan? Uh, yeah, I think that's something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Um, can, can you spell it, um, Peter? Uh, I'm not sure, Dennis. Uh, it could be I M um, O L E N Imlin. It's a derivative of like chickpeas and lentils. It's a, a you can get it in a powder form. Okay, okay. And apparently, it has a very profound effect on visceral fat around the organs. Okay. Look, I'm I'm not familiar with the actual product, but it sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. Anything that incorporates uh, pulses and lentils uh, has a good reputation in 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 dietary measures um, for lessening cholesterol levels, due to the way in which they how can you call it scavenge um, yeah. fats from the from the system. Um, they're used a lot, as you would appreciate, in Middle East health regimes. Uh, they're used a lot in Islamic countries, um, and I, interestingly, I use a lot of lentils. Um, my my wife makes what are called dals, D A H L, and yeah. um, she makes some fantastic dals. I'll have to bring a few recipes in one of these days. Um, so I know a little bit about it, and I would like to think that um, my excellent cholesterol level, which baffles my GP, has a little bit to do with my tendency to eat some of these uh, Middle Eastern foods, these exotic foods, particularly the lentils, a lot of chickpeas. So, look, other than that, I can't say a lot, but it doesn't surprise me that the claims you make for them uh, yeah, could be valid. Well, I'm looking for something else because I'm on a statin. Yes. Um, I take yes. a coenzyme because yes. of that. Yes, good, good, good. I'm um, pleased you're doing that. Yeah. Now, what, you, apparently you can get this in a powder form, okay. which is more concentrated... Apparently, you'd have to eat a lot of lentils to get the same effect. You do. Now, the thing that I would say here is um, your doctor has obviously put you onto a statin because have you a cardiovascular problem? Um, I've never suffered a heart attack or anything like that. I have blood pressure. Okay. Um, You're not diabetic? Yes, I am. Okay. So what your doctor is doing is is carrying out standard uh, medical protocol for people that have that have hypertension and diabetes, that's why you uh, are on a statin. Now, yeah. what you can do, and you should only do this, working with your GP, if you have hypertension and diabetes, uh, that puts you in in a, in a bit of a compromised state. So, anything you do needs to be done under medical management, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that you can uh, help reduce. Uh, moderately elevated levels of cholesterol using natural substances. And I have mentioned some of them on this program. You should run some of them past your GP and get his concurrence for you to try them, which usually means uh, starting to use them in conjunction may be with a lower dose of the statin than what you're presently taking. But substances that I recommend and have seen good results are things known as the phytosterols, P-H-Y-T-O. Look, they have a very good track record. In in a a book that I have back in my rooms entitled uh, Natural Medicine That Really Works, they have a very, very high rating when used, when used for a chronic period of time in the correct dosage, one can expect a degree of improvement in moderately elevated levels of cholesterol. You must discuss that uh, with with your GP. Yeah. The, the, other, the other thing is to keep in mind that even using, and you've heard me talk about this probably, even using 
a regular daily dose, say 15 grams of soluble fibre, whether that be psyllium or slippery elb, and it's got yeah. to be soluble fibre, that has a very high scoring in most of the literature that I give credit to for also participating in cholesterol levels. And there are plenty of those products in the pharmacies and health food stores under various names that incorporate soluble fibre. Those two things, which are not expensive, uh, used regularly in your diet and under your doctor's monitoring, um, should, in my opinion, see some reduction in your cholesterol, which may encourage your GP um, to perhaps allow you to use a blend of a lesser level of the statin or, yeah. or alternatively. Now, don't, also, don't forget that there is a product called red rice yeast extract. Yeah, right, I've heard of that. Write it down. It actually contains, a lot of people don't know this, but it actually contains a crude vegetable-based statin which has demonstrable effects similar to statins but seemingly without the downside to it. Now, interestingly, from what I'm aware, that product can be purchased as a food. It is, it is not, from what I understand, and I stand correction on this, it has not been classified in Australia as a drug, and it should be available, therefore, in Asian food stores, etc. As I say, I stand correction on that, but if you were to look, uh, and, uh, look up red rice yeast extract, you would be surprised to find that its chemistry is statin in nature. So those three things are credible things, which, again, I come back to this point. You need to express to your GP, you should express your concern to your GP that you would really like to try something other than the statin. I have reservations about statins, as obviously you do have. Uh, Sometimes they're absolutely necessary, however, and it would be foolish to, uh, to do anything in your situation without approval. But there are three reasonably cheap ways and very safe ways of working with um, a program to help reduce probably your moderately elevated cholesterol level. Okay. That gives you something to work on. Yep, thank you. Thanks for your call, Peter. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. Now, we were speaking about complementary medicine, Mm. uh, Dennis, and um, asking about different conditions perhaps yes. that respond well to complementary medicine and you we told us about lung type well, we talked conditions. about the respiratory system and the way in which uh, I've demonstrated over many years that respiratory conditions uh, can be treated well with a combination of mainstream medicine and complementary medicine I mentioned two herbs uh, the American herb echinacea and the European herb elecampane but in the area of dermatology That is an area that has uh, always uh, been uh, on my mind. In fact, it was my own experience of skin disease that uh, got me into uh, natural medicine. Uh, The story is well known that as a young student living in Sydney trying to survive, uh, I contracted uh, eczema and uh, it literally took over my life. And it was my subsequent uh, investigation into the condition and the utilisation of natural procedures which caused the condition to come under control and which instigated me then to look at doing some teaching and training in complementary medicine. And so over the years I have found that my experience uh, is the experience of many people, particularly with what are called chronic skin diseases. 
and over that period of time, conditions like eczema and mm-hmm. dermatitis, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the bane of the dermatologist because they are so difficult uh, to manage in many cases and can plague people for many, many years indeed. And there is a point at which even the best that dermatology can offer, and that could be steroid medication, uh, topical and oral, uh, immunosuppressant medication, uh, there is a point at which that type of medicine does still not resolve the problem. Otherwise, people would not present to persons like myself. And it is in that area that I've demonstrated that there are a number of herbs, particularly in the area of, say, of eczema and dermatitis. I've mentioned two herbs on my program before, which are the backbone of my treatment for those two inflammatory conditions. And we spoke about nettle a couple of weeks ago. It is one of the two main remedies I need, uh, use for eczema and dermatitis. And also, I use a lot of the European herb known as heartsease, tricoloured pansy, viola tricolour is its botanical name. And those two remedies have given me some of the most pleasant results, usually combined with similar supporting remedies. In my rooms yesterday, for instance, my th- first and third patients were patients that had presented a number of weeks ago with very active and vicious dermatitis of the hands. Both of those patients, using the herbal medicine contribution, have now presented, as one woman said yesterday, her hands now are the best they've been for ages, uh, not because of, of, of me, but because of using what the literature supports, that those two herbs can be used for eczema and dermatitis not always effective, but by goodness, very frequently effective. So in the area of complementary medicine, dermatology can benefit from herbal medicine, particularly where dermatology has finished and can't offer much more. Mm. The two, two herbs, remarkable in their benefit, and I know time's just about gone, but also topically, for instance, uh, I've had the pleasure during my career of um, resurfacing, if you like, or retrieving the, the, the knowledge of glycotinic acid or glycorrhizin. There's fascinating history with that, Jane. Glycorrhizin is an extract of licorice. Fascinating history. Uh, Sounds people, yummy. People, <laughs> okay, okay. people think that licorice is just something we eat. In fact, if you eat too much of it, you can hurt yourself, you get blood pressure. Mm. But licorice contains glycorrhizin. And many years ago, it was written up in dermatology journals as a very excellent agent for managing subacute and chronic inflammatory skin conditions. I, as far as I'm aware, retrieved the use of glycorrhizin in topical preparations when searching through some of the older uh, pharmacopoeia literature, particularly what's called Martindale's Extra Pharmacopoeia. Now, I mention that because there are numerous editions of it. If young herbalists, doctors or naturopaths are listening to me, get hold of the older editions of Martindale's Extra Pharmacopoeia. That's where I found the 2% uh, level of glycorrhizin in a zinc paste preparation, which allowed me to develop the GA creams. They have broken the back in my practice over 30 years mm. as topical preparations, which have allowed people to drift away from using topical steroids. Mm. So there are two areas, not competition, but complementary. Yes. Mm. Uh, France has rung in from Windale. And, France, you've got a question for Dennis about chronic migraine. 
Yes, that's correct. Good afternoon, Dennis. I'm very interested in I'm very interested in um, listening to the conversation. Thank you. Um, and I would like to ask you something. It's relating to my daughter, but I've, I am 70 years old. My daughter is in her 40s. Yes. And I want to know, of course, it could be hereditary, but she seems to suffer much more than I did. Okay. Yes. She's, experience, so far, mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm. experiencing migraine. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, extreme, yeah, extremely, yes. She already gone to a natural path and tried some special diets, but she's lost no, no, weight. No, and no, 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 no. In my opinion, that's not the way to go. Look, there, mm. are, there are a couple of herbs, and, and, yes. and, and I'm not wanting to sound... I've got to be cautious that I don't turn this problem into just something that can be at the flick of a wrist fixed up. Migraine is migraine. It's a troublesome, stubborn condition. uh, And no one remedy, in my opinion, works for every case. But your daughter needs to try, she needs to try the herb Fever-Few. I'll spell it for you. F-E-V-E-R, F-E-W, Fever-Few. Now, fever yes, view uh, can it can be obtained easily. It comes in yeah. an encapsulated form, and it's a very low dose herb, and it is not used to treat uh, uh, an episode of migraine. The idea of using it is to use it as a preventative. So, very frequently, yeah. very frequently, this low dose herb, say one capsule a day, is able yeah. to is able to bring about, in many cases, not all, but in many cases a preventative effect on the incidence of the migraine. If she hasn't tried that, she must try it, in my opinion. The second herb, the second herb is not as well known, but in any migraine formula that I would dispense from my dispensary, I would always uh, blend with it the European herb known as rosemary. Now, those those two Mm -hmm. herbs, rosemary and feverfew, would be the backbone of many European herbal treatments preventatively for mm-hmm. migraine headache. If she's not tried that, she could be missing mm-hmm. out on something. Uh, because there was um, a very strict diet on yeah. uh, restricting uh, histamine, yeah, all yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. food yeah. that contained histamine, yeah. and, yeah. and it was an extreme list of things, and yeah. I think that was causing her more stress. Yeah. Look, <laughs> I, I know some people get... Uh, benefit from dietary approaches and in my earlier di- days I was pretty big on it but I'm an old man now and I've seen a lot <laughs> and, and oh. <laughs> my, my, my view is people in any case will never ever stay on diets that's the pragmatic factor and the other, dis- yeah. the other disappointing thing is that the yeah. expectations the expectations of, of vigorous dietary change are not always there that's why I'm more pragmatic uh, more, uh, my thinking is very much along the lines of a, of a mainstream medical practitioner. What is there something pragmatic, ideally a non-drug medication, which will help this condition sufficient for the lady to be able to live with it? And that's where I think these two herbs might be of use to her. Have you, uh, what about B1 and B6, uh, B12? I don't, look, I don't place much emphasis on those because, again, um, I don't believe... That, uh, that we should be filling ourselves up with vitamins. If your diet is good, there should be an adequate level of them in yeah. that. And uh, vitamin therapy can be expensive. It's a very American-oriented, uh, and in my opinion, yeah. an American middle-class therapy, 
If you've got a lot of money, yeah. you can afford to buy yeah. a lot of those things. Now, that's not being entirely sceptical because there is a basis for using some vitamins. But my view is the oldest system in, 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 in nature is herbal medicine. And in my opinion, in my experience, it's worked the best for me. And uh, yeah. so I don't place a lot of emphasis on, on vitamin mm. therapy or rigid dietary approaches. So all the very best for your daughter with that, France. And our last call for today comes from Greg, who's rung in from Anna Bay. And your question's about another herb, pennywort. Is yeah, that... how are you going, Dennis? Hello, Greg. How are you? So you're growing pennywort, are you? Well, it grows free up here yeah. in Nelson Bay. Yeah, well, um, now that... somebody was on the Somebody was on a Facebook page last night saying, uh, how do I get rid of it? And then somebody else got on there and said, my grandma used to mix it up for arthritis relief okay. for anti-inflammatory. Okay. Now, the first thing to be careful of here is that there are a number of herbs colloquially known as pennywort. Mm. So the first thing is, uh, if you think it's pennywort, uh, if you bring it into my rooms, I can identify it for you positively, but it is not always uh, the medicinal herb. Pennywort is better known as Hydrocotyl Asiatica or Gotchicola. And that, that is the, uh, both those names are used to describe what we call pennywort. Now, that herb... I've also, um, I've also heard it called Colonel Curse from older people. Yes, well, I, 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 I haven't heard it called that name. But look, uh, if it's Gotchicola or Hydrocotyl Asiatica, uh, yeah. that pennywort does have a reputation of being useful useful how useful um is debatable okay <laughs> it's a good question well, you just get a chunk of it and put it in your kettle and boil it up and drink it or what? well look don't do anything like that until you're sure of what you're taking because as okay. i say you can end up taking something that might be called petty wort but you might up you might end up going on a trip uh, I thought I was going to cure all the arthritic gardeners. Look, this you, way. you might well be able to do so. Drop, it, put a specimen in an envelope, send it to my okay. rooms at Alma Road. I'll look at it, and I'll I'll get back to you and tell you you've scored or you're you're missing out. <laughs> Oh, sounds... Okay, Greg. Thanks for your call, Greg. And that almost brings us to it the does. end it of does. Health Naturally today, Dennis. And interesting that a number of people rang in about uh, natu- about vegetable products, yes. I suppose, or herb yes. products yes. Yeah. and things that yeah, they've come in contact with. It was a good, good program and a very informative program. Obviously, people are hanging on the information that you stimulate, Jane, by your good <laughs> yes, questioning. Yes, by bringing up but, my uh, topics. But yeah. some, uh, some good questions. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And Health Naturally... We'll be back next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.